94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. 94.7 Kumu, we have our uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green back in the Kumu studio to do his weekly Aloha Friday update uh, on the COVID-19 situation in Hawaii. Thank you for joining us again, yes. Lieutenant Governor. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's just start out by talking about the lockdown. Are you seeing the numbers change the way that it should? Uh, yes, I do think it will work. Ooh. I think it's, it's right. kicking in now. It's it's hard. I hate it, uh, the lockdown, but it was necessary to knock our numbers down. I've said a couple times that there's really two ways to do it, which is do a good public health process, which mm-hmm. is tra- uh, tracing, testing, isolation with masks and so on. If you do that well, you can keep the numbers down. That's been evidenced all across the world, although challenging. And if it gets out of control, you do what we had to do from the get-go, which was essentially a stay-at-home order and a travel ban. And that that also worked very, very well. So uh, sometimes one has to be employed if the other is not in place properly, and we are fixing a lot of a lot of that. So uh, right now we're ramping up tracing and testing very significantly while these numbers are coming down. Uh, these days we are turning the corner in real time. The number of active cases has now uh, pretty much settled right at about uh, 7,000 mm-hmm. cases, and we're getting fewer cases per day on average than we are releasing patients. It's just about at equilibrium, and that should turn to our favor now. The surge testing has been very low rate of positivity, just like 0.6% or so, 0.5, It's about one out of 200 people, which is valuable information. It tells us what the background rate of the disease is in our culture. However, the other 2,500 tests have shown a slightly higher rate. Uh, so I saw someone comment early on in our, in our uh, question section mm-hmm. right now, a little confusing, and I, I agree with that. It, People should always focus on the trends because, you know, from one hour to the next, depending on when we post, there could be new data and new data and new data. And so you get a snapshot in time. But the average positivity rate, which is what you're really asking about, how are we doing, mm-hmm. has been dropping. It's, I believe, in week over week, closer to 3.3%. And that's very good news. We had peaked at about 10 to 11%, mm. which is considered terrible. And so when it gets down lower, we're doing better, and the combination of the lockdown and other things are working. We, I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the details of the lockdown, so I defer to you. To finish that thought about the lockdown itself, I've been hearing you say a lot on the news that uh, this order, you're not the way that it's configured, you're not really happy about that. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, so there were pluses and minuses to the order. Uh, the pluses, so I'm not to, not to be perceived as too overly critical, the pluses are we knock the numbers down by not having large gatherings. That was very smart about a month ago of the mayor and the governor. Uh, However, as we came out of the first two weeks, and we need to have some common sense, of course, behind this so that people feel comfortable with complying with the orders. Your your orders or or laws or whatever are only as good as how, uh, they're only as good as how you share them with people and how you interface with people because if you don't want to follow them, just not going to work. There's not enough law enforcement in the world to deal with social uh, policy. Mm -hmm. So uh, the policies to just go out solo to the beaches or solo on hikes doesn't make any medical sense. To go in family gatherings, really I should be more specific and say household gatherings does make sense. Mm -hmm. And that is important. Uh, So that was what the recommendation probably would have been better had Mm -hmm. it been that. Uh, what the what the mayor and, and Gov did express, or at least the mayor's team, was that 
it's very difficult to enforce. And I know it's a lot of difficult work, but that's why we have extra funds and resources uh, from the federal government to do enforcement. So it's, uh, it's just critical to, to know that there's a balance. Uh, but that's really, that was the one primary flaw. And it would have been perfectly easy to, to say, okay, you can, if a, a mom wants to walk with her little boy to the beach or sure. go out for exercise or, or uh, a, you know, a couple want to go out, they're already in a household. They're already fully exposed, if I may. So uh, just don't, don't dwell on that and then yeah. get more compliance. Mm. Now we're in the second two-week period of this uh, lockdown. Um, do you think that there is going to be any kind of change like it's because you are expressing concern about it? I don't know. You know, they, they listen to me sometimes and sometimes they don't. That's <laughs> all I can really say. I, I, I know that in two weeks, when mm-hmm. this two-week stretch ends, that uh, we I, – well, I, well, I say no. I'm very confident, extremely confident that they will be able to uh, remove the stay-at-home order and back off some. The, the category would be to go to orange, which is safer at home, but does allow for going outdoors, going in family groups. Then they can define – I think households going to the beach and going to the park oh, okay. and so on. I think mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we will end that about the 24th, I believe, mm-hmm. of of September, mm-hmm. which is an important time because that's about a week before my hope that we can begin very modestly a soft launch of tourism uh, on October 1st. And then, of course, whether or not we'll see if the schools and teachers and so on are ready to go forward on the 13th, that's it's going to be a big uh, conversation. It's important that everyone have and feel comfortable with that. But these are the next big steps. Meanwhile, we have uh, a ramped up tracing and testing program. We can be a lot safer for everybody. We'll talk about the hospitals if that's some good news. Yes. So all these things start coming. And the kind of the holy grail, if you will, is ultimately having an immunization or vaccination that we can choose. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be mandatory, but choose to have uh, people come and get that vaccination, mm. you know, come to our health centers and so on. And if that happens, then we're good because if it works, once it's been vetted and safe and so on and effective, uh, then you're likely to have a, you know, a really easy time to contain large outbreaks. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, in order for us to reopen the economy and, you know, to end the lockdown, et cetera, et cetera, what kind of numbers do you want to see? Like what are the benchmarks that Hawaii has to meet like data-wise, in order for us to get to that point? Well, there's a whole data committee uh, run by Dr. Mugaishi and others. And so I do, I do defer to them uh, for the most part. But the, uh, I can tell you from my perspective, if we have less than 150 cases on average per day, we can handle it from a healthcare standpoint. For how long? Uh, well, seven days, say. If, okay. you, if you're averaging 150 over seven days, that shows that your trend is, is solid. And if that is the case, and also you're under 5% positivity rate, which is the national standard for basically being safe and not having crazy spread everywhere, then you can open up a lot of other industries, schools, and so on safely. That's why you're seeing some of the private schools already preparing to open next week. It's why businesses will be able to open in the coming weeks. It really shows that you have less overall viral load in society, and therefore you're not as likely to catch it. Now, you still need to wear masks. You still need to be safe and socially distanced. You don't want to take extra risks. But that that being said, you can do it. So that's my threshold. I've, I've looked at the analytics and seen how it's played out in our hospitals. And it's, uh, you know, it's important that we give people expectations to follow. It can't just be 
kind of emotional decisions that get made based sure. on pressure. The hospitals. What is the situation there? We've heard, um, you know, we've uh, that reports that the hospitals have been at max um, and the healthcare workers also at max. And we have hundreds of employees coming from the mainland and um, our various services to help with the care of our patients. Yes. Um, our, what would be the threshold that you would need to see there? Like, what would be okay with you that we could reopen again? Well, we've, we've done well. In the last uh, week to two weeks since we spent time together, we peaked at 318 individuals in the hospital with COVID-related illness. And we were yesterday at 243. So we have dropped off of our max uh, pretty significantly. We hovered around 250 to 260 for about five days. And then we're down to 243 as mm -hmm. of yesterday morning at 730. And that's very important because our hospitals can maintain that capacity. We have brought in additional uh, staff to help spell some of the, the excellent uh, healthcare workers that are just doing yeoman's work to, to keep people alive. And people are surviving at a better rate overall uh, across America and in Hawaii. Uh, but we needed that support. So we brought over 40 nurses in, critical care nurses, and there will be some additional staff coming on, lots of volunteers too. All of these things mean that we can maintain the numbers even when they were higher. Remember, we were averaging over 200 a day. Mm -hmm. That's why when I look at that threshold of 150, and by the way, uh, I'm being I'm building in some conservative uh, consideration because the average hospitalization rate is dropping now because the average age of people who are getting COVID has dropped. Okay. So you see, as it's younger people in general that got COVID, there's less hospitalizations because they're not as likely to get sick. Mm. And so we were at one point at 11% of all individuals that got COVID ended up getting hospitalized. Mm -hmm. Now it's much lower. It's probably 6 to 7%. So we can tolerate more cases, but we still want to have thresholds so people can understand just where we are. At the end of the day, we will be able to open it. Uh, it's not going to be at zero cases. I mean, I, I want people to be aware of that. And COVID, like flu, like other things, are going to cause some, you know, harm. But that's the nature of humanity and the nature of illness. Mm -hmm. But we can minimize it. And that's what the responsibility of public health is. I heard Dr. Uh, Anthony Fauci, he expects another surge uh, with the fall and winter coming of COVID-19. And that coincides with, you know, we're just starting to think about getting tourism reopened again. Do you think that that's going to affect our plans to get tourism going for uh, Hawaii? Probably not a perspective uh, you know, prediction, mm -hmm. I don't think. I think as we see actual large surges, that will always affect how we can safely have travelers come in. But the plan is built to deal with that. In, in specific, uh, the, the proposal that I'm you know, kind of resubmitting mm -hmm. to the governor and, mm -hmm. and updating today, actually, is that we have a pretest it's a nucleic acid amplification test, NAAT test. That's the one you guys are accustomed to. It's a broader category, but it covers all the PCR tests. You get that test within three days. It reduces by a significant percentage the number of positive people that travel. And then they travel here. And in addition to that, there's nothing to keep us from asking people if they would like to have extra testing, if hotels would like to offer free tests, if if other people want to include that in the packages, but we have to have a standard and it can't be a moving target. So that's why I'm recommending that test. If we had infinite testing capacity and we had just unlimited, say, uh, rapid tests, the antigen tests, sure, we would ask them to get them every three days, all of us. We would mm -hmm. just be quickly doing it. It would be low impact and that's how we would get through these three or four months before an immunization occurs. But it, uh, 
it's just not reality. And so that makes it more difficult. I'm sure there will be a lot of uh, back and forth between the mayors and the governor, but someone has to make the recommendation. And after hearing everyone's opinions, that is the safest thing to do. Now, let's say we get a big surge in California and, mm-hmm. and that's a, a major problem. We always can revisit what our standards are and we can, add for, we can ask for extra testing or we can ask for a pause on uh, airline travel. Of course, people want to be safe, but we do have to get it going. And the reason we have to get it going is, is many, well, there are many reasons. Number one, we have not noticed, based on looking at the data, that travelers are the problem right now. And that means travelers that are us or them. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's community spread that's been the mm-hmm. problem. And travelers tend to separate from community. There's a little bit of community engagement, but not too much. Okay, so that's one thing. So we shouldn't single that out as the problem. But of course, if they're in hotels and we're working with them, we've got to be safe and we have to protect our hotel workers. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Second thing is people are going to start going off their insurance on October 1st. And these large layoffs are going to you know, be a calamitous development for a lot of additional families. So we have to get ready. So I think that that is just necessary if you want to talk about people's survival outside the scope of COVID. And so that's also a factor. But just to make sure that people have some hope is also good. Mm -hmm. And as other tests come on board, every week my committee will continue to revisit whatever's best and we can add better things to keep us safer. We'll do it. And believe me, if we suddenly see some crazy spike in COVID because of travel, we'll shut it down. Mm -hmm. But that's just not likely to happen. Because think about it, all across America, people are traveling uh, freely between New York and Florida and California and Texas and so on. I mean, that's going on right now. So we're adding extra protections that they don't even have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. The news I hear in what you're saying is that we are on track for October 1st. Is that is that correct to say? We are on track pending the governor's approval. Okay. That is always the caveat. I, I defer to him. And it, the committee and I have, have talked a lot about this and a lot of other leaders across the state. And there seems to be consensus that we should do that, even if it's a soft opening. I think it's September 11th and we have 20 days essentially till October 1st. We already have the infrastructure in place to to deal with travelers and and make sure that we can screen and check their their test and so on. We're ready. In a few moments, we're going to ask the lieutenant governor if you would indulge us in one of his famous speed rounds of answering your questions. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you, since I'm just giving you the heads up again about it. Um, and uh, let me ask a final question for at least for the moment of the lieutenant governor regarding uh, opening of tourism. So when you say October 1st, we seem to be at least uh, uh, headed that way. We, we seem to be on track. You're talking about a soft opening. What does that mean? Soft opening as opposed to throwing the gates wide open is I, I would we be doing something different holding something back I uh, know just soft because it's it's going to be a, a soft response oh, to okay us. Yeah. okay we don't expect the airlines with just two weeks notice to be able to ramp up completely or the hotels to be open up completely I think that probably maybe one out of four of the hotels will begin to restore uh, rooms uh, a lot of them a lot of the owners have multiple hotels so they'll just open one facility we want to make sure that the workforce is comfortable, that we have enough tests and we have enough tracing to apply to the scene. So all of these things uh, suggest that it will be soft at first mm-hmm. and it will harden as we get towards, you know, towards November. So mm-hmm. it gives time to ramp up. As I mentioned a moment ago, we have our Facebook Live video uh, running right now. And uh, Lieutenant Governor, I should tell you that there are almost 100 comments and questions there already. Lieutenant Governor, take it away. Uh, from Kara, 
your thoughts on the spit test of Hawaii's own ocean. I think it'll be great. It's probably two months off. Uh, their technology is going to get FDA approved eventually, EUA approved. That's the word. When will our government be changing our mandates to allow immediate families? Boy, I would love it if it was this moment. I, I don't know if the mayor and the gov are going to make that change. <laughs> Whatever happened to checking the sewage for COVID, I, I don't think that there ended up being uh, agreement on the use of sewage, although some uh, some parts of the country are doing that. There was a conflict between the city and the state on that matter. Uh, why are the governor, mayor, and Green not always on the same page? Well, you know, everyone's got opinions, uh, but the goal is to move in the general same direction. Uh, we just have some differences based on science. I usually try to take the healthcare and science approach first. Quit talking about COVID only. You're right. The collateral damage is very important. Unemployment is critical. That's why I want to open up on October 1st. Why does government think their job is to protect our health and not individuals' jobs? It actually is to be supportive of both, and there has to be a, a balance struck. Keep in mind that had we neglected to deal with the crisis, no one was going to come here anyway. I think that's one of the misconceptions. Some uh, Nani writes, why not go back to groups of no more than 10 in a group? I think that's where we'll go next, most likely, when we lift this uh, restriction. It'll be five or 10, but certainly immediate households will all be able to come. Uh, Tracy asks, can you give a timeline when kids can go back to playing group sports? I'm guessing it's going to be October, but we also, again, have to look at the total number of group gathering sizes. It probably will coincide when schools go back, and I think that that is an open debate. October 13th is when the first quarter ends. How about getting tested for antibodies? Antibody tests haven't been accurate enough uh, to be used responsibly. Antigen tests will ne be next. Jason writes, six months into this thing, and we should be able to hang out with people other than our immediate family. Kids need outings. I agree completely, but with the spike of the 7,000 active cases, that became problematic in such a small state. Mm. Uh, Nani writes, solo can be dangerous hiking. Uh, can we open up broader? That's absolutely right. We have to be opened up uh, to hiking, at least in pairs, because as an ER doc, I see people with broken legs all the time that could die out in the wilderness. They didn't have someone to help them. Mm. Can we explain testing for tourists returning residents on October 1st? Yes, 72 hours before you would get a PCR test or the nucleic acid amplification test, and that would clear you from having to do quarantine. How about businesses reopening? I think that's the 24th that will open up next. Uh, does a soft launch limit the amount of flights and people entering? It's just a reflection of the number that they can put into play. And Melinda writes, uh, will your future platform include diversified economy? Absolutely. It's got to be housing. We have to restore a housing economy to rebuild our economy and get people houses. Woo! <laughs> the microphone is smoking. <laughs> My friend Jill is always trying to post this question. She wanted me to ask you about the asymptomatic cases. Yes. Um, what percentage of, of all cases are asymptomatic? And then of those asymptomatic people, is it that they just don't have symptoms right now, but they will get them eventually? Or will they just never, ever show symptoms but still be carriers? Right. Great question. So 40 percent, 40 percent of all people that have COVID appear to have an asymptomatic condition. And that means never. No symptoms at any point. If two weeks in or some later part of the disease, they develop chronic headaches, muscle aches or fevers, they now fall into the symptomatic category. They just had symptoms later. But 40 percent of all people. And that's one of the great challenges because those individuals can still spread the disease during parts of their infection. They're less infectious because the very nature of having symptoms is your body's shedding this virus and fighting mm -hmm. it. But you can still spread it, and that's why it's hard. I would be remiss if I did not ask you about the Department of Health, Dr. Sarah Park, the whistleblower, that whole situation over there. What, can you please explain what is happening? People are confused and how that situation is affecting our 
uh, our health care, like our health. What, why should people care about what's happening at the Department of Health with that situation? Well, they had to get their act together because the previous leadership wasn't getting it done as far as contact tracing and testing go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Anderson, director, real good guy. Uh, it just overtook him, the crisis. And then uh, so he was retiring and putting in a new director, which is Dr. Libby Char, who's terrific. Uh, regarding Dr. Park, uh, her commitment to the people of Hawaii and epidemiology was critical, but her commitment to that program was not adequate based on what we needed and created a lot of conflict. Also, she unfortunately became a bottleneck for a lot of the work that many, many other people were trying to do, including at the at the tracing and testing area. And so ultimately changes were made. And I do know that when the whistleblower came forward and, and I passed on the information, it was because we had an inconsistency in the information about the number of tracers. We had been hearing that we had many tracers, yes. over 100, mm-hmm. and, and in fact, many more in some cases. And the truth was we only had 10 to 15. And that was terrible. And that's also one of the reasons why we had the explosion of cases without an ability to do our best to put out fires. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't blame any of the tracers or anyone except that the leadership did not choose to make that the priority. And that had to be a priority if we were going to succeed in the middle part of this pandemic. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, um, you just did that uh, that that opinion piece for the Star Advertiser, that five point plan. Yes. Can you very quickly reiterate that for our listeners? And is that is that going to be a key piece in moving tourism forward? Yes. Uh, so thank you for that. So mm-hmm. that is a key piece to, the, to what we have to do statewide. So let me race through it real fast. Okay. Point one. We have to have a statewide mask mandate. We have a mandate broken into parts based on counties, but a clear statewide mask mandate where people pay a a small fine, not this big $5,000 or one year in jail violation misdemeanor. We have to clarify that and have a clear mask mandate. So when we come out of this through the end of the year or until we get a vaccination, we're safe. Point two, we have to have up to 500 contact tracers full time so that we can get ahead of the disease at all times. Imagine how good that will be if we have an average of 75 to 100 cases a day, which is where I imagine we're going to settle. And so the contact tracing team only has to take on an individual one or two new cases a week at the most. That's a phenomenal situation because then we can be ahead of it every Mm -hmm. day. Three, we have to have over 10,000 tests. We're working that through right now. We actually are going to target 13,000 tests a day. Oh, okay. Which is going to be important because if there's travel to Hawaii, which there will be, and when there is education in person, which at some point there will be, we want to have a lot of extra capacity for those individuals and, of course, our frontline workers uh, plus the first responders. So that's going to be very good. What I will propose is that after the surge testing is done, that we set up six or eight sites where people can do walk-in tests at very low cost. And I think that's going to be a big benefit. Mm. The fourth point is ramp up our hospital healthcare capacity. And you've already seen that in, in real time happening. We always will need to have an emergency uh, valve in case we get a big surge. And that would be our pop-up hospitals if we need them. Plus there's other things we can do. We can expand capacity with just a little bit of notice uh, by about 30%. And then finally, transparency. And if I may, the Department of Health did some really great work uh, with their, I believe it's, um, I'll have to pull up the the uh, website and you might want to do it. It's either COVID Hawaii. HawaiiCOVID19.com. Hawaii, Hawaii yes, yes, thank you. HawaiiCOVID19.com. Uh-huh. That dashboard is really good. That is a, uh, again, some of the data is in evolution and there are occasions where it might take 12 to 24 hours to get some of the updated data, but they did very good work there. 
And again, it shows you the absolute trends and it also now shows a lot more detail that mm -hmm. people have been asking for. So all these things are good. That's the five point plan. And then everything emanates from that. If we're doing that well, it's not difficult to open on October 1st mm -hmm. or a little later if, if the governor deems that necessary. Sure. It's, it's not difficult to do schools because then you have adequate tests and tracing to do it. Sooner or later, we will have to do that. Of course, schools all across the country are beginning to open up. And it also means that businesses, if they have a scare or if they've got a lot of employees, there'll be a place to go to quickly get tested and get through it without having to take risks, mm -hmm. have people around that are still sick or positive or what have you. Mm -hmm. Where is this plan right now? Like, are all of them going to be implemented? Uh, if if I have my way at all, they will be. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what I'm, this is what I'm using as the operating uh, process right mm -hmm. now for mm -hmm. Hawaii. Okay. This is what will actually do it. I've had a, a very good conversation with Governor General Har in the last couple of days. And this, in addition to another large piece, which is preparing for vaccinations for the flu and and COVID, whenever that vaccination comes, are kind of the big signature pieces to respond. Okay, okay. Um, our time is running a little bit short because we want to talk story for just a few more moments, and then we're going to bring in the nurse to demonstrate or help uh, us okay. demonstrate. Yeah. Surge as it reads like, oh no. Yeah. No, my, my, mom, my mom said it wasn't that bad. She oh, got okay. tested actually at one of the surge testing sites, and she said, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't bad at all. Okay, and the lieutenant governor is going to you know help us through that process. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about the status of our surge testing right now because I know the goal was to do, I think, 90,000 tests yes. uh, by, and I think the deadline to use all those up was Monday. Are we going to reach that goal of 90,000? Well, there's good news on either end. Okay. Either we're going to uh, push up against that goal, uh, th though it looks like we're trending more towards 75,000, which is still a phenomenal feat. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to that, we will have these tests, in my opinion, in hand, and I think that we can use them depending on how uh, Chief Kamara, the mayor, the governor see fit. We can use those for other needs. It also is a demonstration that we can uh, get testing out into the community. There's lots of uh, philosophies about how to best use testing, but I think testing often at, at high pressure points or high risk points is the way to go. Mm. And a lot of that's been done. We're going to have, it looks like we're going to have Carla coming in. Carla, I don't oh. believe is a nurse, but she's um, like chief of the health services division over there. And oh, okay. she's, she's like super trained for this. So is she in our lobby? <laughs> she may very well be. We're going to check that. In the meantime, can we just talk real quickly for our listeners who are not acquainted with the difference between uh, the pharyngeal tests that we we're running before and the surge testing that we're doing now? Can mm -hmm. you help kind of yes. so, uh, that? Yeah. So the, the, the classic uh, reverse transcriptase PCR test, RT-PCR test. That's the mm -hmm. big one, right? Uh, you kind of tilt your head back and you go all the way back with this swab and it goes and touches the back of your throat. Uh, you can go to the back of the throat From through the, the nose, nose. Through the nose. The nasopharynx, that's where a lot of virus accumulates mm -hmm. for these upper respiratory illnesses. Mm -hmm. But the other tests have been proven to be as effective and that's the nasal swabs provided you get a full and ample swab. A nasal swab meaning just up in the front part of your nose, five swishes around just in the front, doesn't mm -hmm. hurt, um, one nostril, and then five in the other nostril, and tickles a little, and then it's done. And they've gotten, when they've done comparative studies on uh -huh. the two, that this is adequate. They've got good data. Another reason for that is, uh, I can tell you as a doc, going into the nasopharyngeal space, you don't always get there. And a lot of times people cough or jerk their head back or what have you, and it, so it's a less, it's, it's a less guaranteed uh, swab that gets completed. Hmm. So 
That's why people are moving towards the nasal swabs or even sooner or later the spit test or the cheek swab because you can't miss there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. these are um, all you know, considerations when you're doing tests. We okay. want to get them to be good. Okay. okay. And that's what we're going to do today. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So there he is. And there she is. Hey, hey uh, please introduce yourself. I'm Carla Perry. I'm from the Honolulu Emergency Services Department. Okay. Okay. Just representing the city. In okay. Today. Fantastic. Okay. All right. Um, it is a self-administered test, yes. right? Um, you can see that the swab is much smaller than the the one that they used to use for the, or they still use for the the pharyngeal test. Yes. Carla is going to walk you right through it. Okay. Okay, so Carla is with EMS. Uh, Carla is is handing Reed this test, and she's going to instruct him on exactly what has to go, and we'll kind of, we'll talk it through. Okay, so first you're going to take your vial out. Okay. Take out your swab. Arrow side up. Okay. You're going to hold on to this piece, and you're going to rip it right to the paper. There you go. Okay, kind of like opening only, a Band-Aid. It is. <laughs> only this top part is going to go to into your nose. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. Okay. You're going to circular motion 15 seconds. Okay. And the other nostril 15 seconds. Okay. All right. Okay. You're going to put it inside. More, more up, up, more up, more up. Right there. Circle. And look, it's more, not, more it's up. not, it's not, go up a little bit deeper into your nose there. Oh. Just a little bit. So more that up. cotton part is up. There right we go. There. Perfect. Go. But it's not up and it's not irritating the back of his throat. And oh, he's, it's just ticklish. Side. Now he's going to switch over to his other nostril. Okay. Scrape all the inside of your nose. Aim for a big booger there. Open the cap. See, so he did not have to go to the nasopharynx space, which this test does not require, and, and so it's way more in. doable for people. You see at that breaking point, that notch? Yes. You're going to break your swab. So he's going to break this thing, and now it goes in there. It's going to pop off pretty okay. easy, and then it's going to get sealed. Then and once it gets it. sealed... He covers it up with that cap. And you're going to put your sample into your bag. Okay. So, and we've got Carla here, so she will make sure that everything gets all kind of ordered for, you know, for ultimately sending the test. There you go. And that's it. That wasn't bad at all. That was easy. That, that was, was very easy. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. See? The average time to get a test result, it depends. We have to fly stuff over to the mainland, but about 2.2 days, although okay. sometimes a couple extra days over holidays and weekends. Yeah, three to five days. So yeah. business days or like like... But in the meanwhile, because you're asymptomatic, mm-hmm. we don't have to give you special recommendations to be at home in full isolation or anything. Okay. It's different than the regular testing if I see you at the hospital and you're symptomatic, where mm-hmm. I then have to say, well, you're presumed possibly sick until confirmed negative, in which case we have you be at home. But that's the purpose of surge testing, mm-hmm. to get broad coverage for society. And we do give different medical advice depending on how people present. Because you could show up in your car and say, I'm feeling sick, and mm-hmm. we try to give you the right advice. So before we go, I just want to thank her and first responders and everyone and, and society in Absolutely. general, all of our people, because I know it's scary. But if we continue to do a very good job with this last piece of the, the stay-at-home order, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then there's no reason at all that we can't open up. And now we've got good data, a lot more data, and we know the hospitals can sustain it. So I just... Um, I just tell you, we can get through this. It has been painful, but to the extent that we've been able to keep people afloat with some unemployment and some support, let's get through to the economic uh, space, the economic solution, and keep our numbers down. The year will be painful, a painful recollection of what can happen globally, but it also shows that we can pull together and get through this. So I'm proud of people, and I know some people are hurting, and I don't ever think that I'm minimizing that. trying to cheer people up occasionally when... 
on social media, and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even want to hurt people's feelings there. I want people to know we're just trying to infuse a little bit of positivity to see the end of this tunnel. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. And for folks who are just tuning in, because uh, lots of times I get people calling me going, I just missed it. What did he say? Uh, get on our 94.7 Kumu Facebook because the live video uh, will be there. And then we also have a version uh, as a podcast uh-huh. that will go up on our website, kumu.com. And we'll also play uh, an abbreviated version of this interview uh, this weekend on our Hawaii Matters show. Great. So thank you, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green you on bet. 94.7 Kumu.